If you want 2024 to be your best running year, it is essential you have a customized training plan tailored to your race schedule and ability level. That's why I'm pumped to have Motive sponsoring the podcast. You can use the app for free, but if you want two months of premium access, you can use code SMARTER2. Sign up at mymotive.com. The link will be in the show notes. On this episode, we are talking all things Red S with Isabel Ross. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Okay, we have collaborated with another podcast host this episode. We have Isabel Ross from the Peak Endurance Podcast. And on her podcast, you'll hear like athletes and experts and also Isabel talking on topics to help improve your endurance goals. She is very qualified to be talking about this. She's a personal trainer and a certified running coach and her experience with endurance sports is very impressive. She's represented Australia at the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championships. She's represented Australia three times. She's also run um, 24-hour races, 100Ks, 100-mile races, and it's a very impressive um, resume of endurance races. So I'm thankful to have Isabel on. We were sort of having a chat as to what topics we should cover, and I've talked about on the podcast a couple of times that Red S is a topic that I need to cover, and Isabel was grateful enough to share her own experiences with Red S, and so I delved into some research to prepare for the podcast and I was very, very happy with the outcome of the episode and all the topics that we covered and I've learnt a lot myself just listening to Isabel and a few of her tips and her headspace when she was going through this condition in the past. So I hope you guys enjoy. If you do like Isabel, jump onto her podcast and have a listen and we'll take from there. So Time to learn about all things Red S. So I uh, thought come together with Isabel and we we're going to talk about Red S because it's a topic that uh, I haven't had on my podcast yet and I've been meaning to for the last couple of weeks. And Isabel, like uh, she just shared, she's had some experiences with Red S in the past. So um, good idea to learn off each other and publish it on each other's podcasts. So how about we just take it away, Isabel? Want to just talk about what your uh, personal experiences have been well, with Red S? Firstly, for um, our listeners, should we explain what Red S actually is? Because some people, because it's changed names. It used to be known as the Female Athlete Triad. And now because um, it's not just women who get this syndrome, they've renamed it Red S. So could we yeah, want to absolutely. explain that a little bit? So Red S stands for Relative Energy Deficiency in Sports syndrome um yeah so um and it's more commonly known as the female athlete triad and the reason it's called the triad is because um normally it's some sort of disordered eating um 
And um, so, you know, insufficient energy. Um, did you want to add more as I'm going? You feel free to jump in at any point. Um, and so not enough energy availability and um, hormones get affected, which can lead to cycle stopping. And um, what was the third one then? <laughs> um, and low body mass index, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of combining those three. And yeah. there's also a lot of other effects that it does have on the body, but those main three which contribute a lot to um, things like bone health and performance and weight, mm, that yeah. type of thing. What I like to explain to um, athletes when I'm talking about this is what what your body is using for output and what it's getting for input and if there's a mismatch there. And so when you do a workout, if you say um, go for a really long run, your body has to um, have energy as an output and how does it receive that input? It mainly does it through nutrients. And so are you, is there going to be a mismatch between the nutrients that come in and what um, you're susceptible your body to for the output? And if there is that mismatch, then the body needs to get energy from somewhere. And so it usually likes mm. to extract that energy from other um, minerals within the body. So it can extract uh that energy per bones. se from like, right. yeah, from the bones, but it can also redirect and reprioritize what energy it's using with its main like organs and um, vital functions mm. and prioritize yeah. like energy uh, for output above all else. Because if you're running from a tiger, it needs to uh, deliver that energy at, at the highest priority. So, and then, ignores or has less of on the priority list for say digestive function and um yeah. you know that that sort of uh physiological pathological requirements and will just put energy output as the number one priority and so if you're having that mismatch at a chronic kind of time frame those yeah. uh areas of the body will start to be affected that's correct so um basically what happened with me was i was training a lot obviously um and probably under eating like um because you know i felt for my running that i needed to, needed to be a certain weight and so my cycle stopped and that probably stopped for a good five years um i didn't think i was underweight and i thought not having a cycle was actually awesome because it made my life easier um but um i was finding over time that it was i don't know i was feeling not not a, not so good and um and then i ended up getting two stress fractures in my uh, right leg in my knee and in the shin both at the same time um and it was after that that i started to look seriously at what i was doing to my body can you describe kind of what your training was like what volumes and what your diet was like yep. at that time well, I was um, training uh, about 130Ks a week for road marathoning. I was also working full-time and I had two young children. So as you can imagine, I was pretty busy um, <clears throat> because, you know, I was basically doing training a lot, working full-time and doing as much as a stay-at-home mum would do. So I had like three jobs, it felt like. And, um, and then so eating would be... I mean, I always felt like I ate enough, but it, clearly it wasn't enough because um, my cycle stopped. And, and it, 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 cycle can stop from too much training as well as lack of food, but um, I think it was a little bit combination. I mean, I, I've always had, um, I've always, 
not liked my weight and um, wanted to lose weight. So when I lost the weight with running and I, I felt better about myself being slimmer and so I wanted to maintain that through um, not eating probably as much as I should have. And so I was doing, yeah, 130 Ks a week and I was also weight training probably two to three times a week and um, occasionally, yeah, no, and that was pretty much it. <clears throat> and you said that you lost your menstrual cycle and you thought, well, that was awesome, one less worry. Yeah. yeah. Was, there, was there any worry at all, any concern? Had you heard about no. this condition before? Well, I had always had a very irregular cycle, so I just thought... I hadn't actually heard of um, the female athlete triad. I just thought it was just me. And um, and then I sort of started speaking to a couple of other females and they said, oh, yeah, you shouldn't lose your cycle. And I'm like, oh, because I, I just didn't realise it. I just thought it was good because it just um, it just made life easier. But I, I did often wonder whether whether it was not good for my body. And, and then I did start sort of towards the end of all that time start looking into it and I started to wonder whether it was uh, you know not healthy for the body and um you know and then I got the stress fractures and then they did bone scans on me and they found I had osteopenia so <clears throat> I had to work really hard to strengthen up my bones again basically yeah um for those who aren't aware the osteopenia is kind of like the um in between you're kind of in in limbo between normal healthy bone and like osteoporosis so more brittle yeah. bones it's kind of um yeah just like stage one you could say uh so starting to get quite dangerous especially for your young age as well and so yeah. when you're getting these stress fractures did you link it to uh this by condition? that stage i did and um and so i i made a conscious effort to um, well, obviously I had to, <laughs> I had to rest, but of course my resting, I was, um, sw swimming or pool running every single day and I actually lost more weight. Um, and, um, but, um, I then had to make a conscious effort to, to eat more and to, um, try to rest more because even when I wasn't running, I was always running around, if you know what I mean, um, and had to try to make it a bit more of an effort to find time to just do nothing. Okay. If you're uh, looking at female population, the younger adolescent teenager population, mm. where do you think these um, pressures are coming from or where do you think this is originating from? Well, I think it's um, throughout society there is pressure for females to be slimmer. And, and I think, like I was saying, the reason they've changed the name to Red S to, is to cover males as well, is there is some pressure on males to, for, to be a certain body shape and size as well. Um, and, um, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's just inherent in our society for, for that pressure to be on females. And then when you get a type A personality who, um, you know, drive, pushes themselves really hard and wants to do the best that they possibly can, and wants to be the best at everything that they possibly can, and that's not just at running, but at how you look and everything like that. And I think um, that kind of personality, which is generally often the kind of personality that gets into running, not always, but it, it, it can be, um, it, it leads to 
that kind of obsession. And, and when you're running and you're obsessed with clean eating and wanting to eat what you believe is healthy foods, and it is healthy foods, but when you become so obsessed, and which I basically was, I would weigh absolutely everything I ate, um, it, everything, you know, like I was pretty, you know, focused on, on clean eating and only eating exactly what I had planned and I would cook different food for the family and I would eat something completely separate that was, you know, way less and way different. And, and I just think the pressure is there for all females mainly. Well, not all, but a lot of females. And, and some women are great and they don't succumb to that pressure and that's awesome, but a lot of us do. You think it might be a combination of the pressures, like the external pressures, either from parents or coaches or other athletes or um, striving I think it's to almost a, like a, what was societal pressure? Because I, I have felt that pressure before I became a runner to be, to be thin long before I became a runner. Um, I mean, I even remember, I used to mountain bike, right? And I remember one race, um, I was racing and the commentator said over the late speaker for everyone to hear, oh, it looks like Isabel Ross has put on a bit of weight. Oh, wow. And I just can, I know, I cannot imagine him ever saying that about a male athlete over the late speaker like that. And he didn't actually say that. He said she's chunked up a bit, which is even more mortifying for a girl to hear. And to be honest, I wasn't, I wasn't overweight. I was not overweight. I was, you know, an athlete then. And for someone to say that, I mean, it's just horrendous. Over a loudspeaker at a, an event at Mount Buller where everyone could hear it. So yeah. that sort of thing, and I'm not saying that happens all the time, but, um, you know, and, and like I said, I felt the pressure before, like when, you know, um, when I was a teenager, you know, I felt the pressure to be thinner and I wasn't definitely not an athlete as a teenager. But then as girls get into um, training, I mean, you've heard the stuff not that long ago about that, uh, I've forgotten what her name was, the American athlete who called out um, the coaches for pressuring the girls to, to lose weight. I mean, it's, it's been a, an issue for quite a while, I would say. Yeah, and I'd agree and say that society pressures aren't common in... You aren't a template, so your training shouldn't be either. The Motive app takes training plans written by the best coaches in the world, then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. It's such a good idea, which is why it is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world and has thousands of age group athletes signing up every month with a near perfect 4.9 star rating. It will even plan triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, and other events if you're branching away from running races. You can use the app for free for as long as you want, with the premium access being just $19.99 per month. But if you use code SMARTER2, you can get two months of full premium access. Sign up through their website, mymotive.com, and make 2024 your best year yet. In male performance and male sports, um, I was doing a bit of research because they did comment or had a, a bit of a section on males, and it seems like the the ones that have sports uh, with a lot of structure around weight class, like they had mm. um, like cyclists or jockeys or um, wrestlers that sort of stuff where they do have to meet a minimal weight class or they want to be in their lowest weight class that's where you find it most common so without the societal pressures um in the male population um 
you do tend to notice like in those areas where they have to focus on their weight a lot and they're under a little bit of pressure to make weight or lose weight. Uh, you see that in, um, in the males and females as well. Um, yeah, and obviously the males don't have a cycle to lose, but I believe it reduces testosterone and, and or suppresses testosterone production and those sorts of things for them, which is obviously not, not healthy for males either. Yeah, that's right. I, I looked up the same thing that saw that there was a reduction in testosterone, um, which just for your greater like health in general, like mm. it, it can be a huge impact. And then you're looking at bone health and um, decreased performance and decrease in other like functions in the body. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely need to uh, address that and like just be aware and make the links between those different symptoms because if someone has gut issues and they're not digesting their food properly, they might not link that to performance at all. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they may feel that they're eating enough, which they may very well be if they're not getting the nutrients out of their food. Um, you know, that can have an impact. Yeah. Have you found any other sports um, to be at risk or any other populations? Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I used to do bodybuilding too, and that's notorious for that too. So like you're talking about weight classes <clears throat> for that. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know. I just think um, something and it's something to be aware of that it's not just the elites who get it. It's, you know, the recreational athletes get it too. Like I was not elite when I was, you know, in that, when it was happening for me, you know, I'm, I'm not an elite athlete, but um, it's, it's, it can happen, I think, in any sport. And, and can you imagine in gymnastics and that sort of stuff, it would be prevalent too. Yeah, absolutely. I just looked up a definition that I might um, relay because it does um, encompass a lot of things. So, it just has here uh, impaired physiological functioning caused by relative energy deficiency and mm. includes but not limited to uh, impairments in metabolic rate, menstrual function, yeah. bone health, immunity, uh, protein synthesis, and cardiovascular health. And so that's a lot of areas where you look at performance and I had a bit of a look at actual um, relationships to performance, but even just for the training side of things, if your immunity is quite low and you're sick and injured uh, throughout your training process, it's going to uh, totally yeah. affect like the end result. If you're taking days off and not committing to that program because you're sick with like a, a cold or flu or something like that. So um, even these indirect um, relationships yeah, exactly. can have an impact. Mm. And that's the thing is often um, athletes want to lose weight because they think it will improve performance and it, and it does, but then, and there's like a, a cutoff because it, it improves performance and then until it doesn't, and then it, it then it, it, it reduces performance, like you said, and yeah. through a variety of, of ways. So initially when they're improving, they're thinking, wow, this, losing weight, this is working, this is working, let's lose more because the more, the, the better I'll get and, and it becomes a, cycle and then suddenly they their performance declines oh well i better lose more weight and, and improve some more and and it just continues to decline and then you you're locked in that in that cycle as well yeah they think it's like a linear relationship oh it's working mm. to start with let me just keep going keep going keep going and when we're talking about having that uh, low energy availability and that mismatch between input and output when people want to lose weight they say i just need to perform 
at higher loads, but then eat less. And that's, then right. that's how it's all created. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's not just about eating less, it's also about increasing the load as well and under recovery and, and those sorts of things can, can lead to it. So someone can think they're eating enough, but if their load is too high, it's not enough. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, there, there was a statement. Well, I should mention there's um, most of the information I've got here is uh, from this consensus statement that's from the International Olympic uh, Committee and it's called the Consensus Statement on Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport and it's a 2018 update. And yeah. it says there when, it, when you're talking about the losing weight trying to increase performance, um, they talk about the the power to mass ratio, and when I think of that, I think of running and cycling is also one that's um, probably yeah. pretty big with that type of ratio. And it does say here, like although striving for greater power to mass ratio is commonly regarded as uh, important for running performance, the study suggests that achieving the um, ideal body weight and body composition through severe and uh, persistent energy restriction is likely to have negative effect on performance and health. And so it will get to a certain point where that linear relationship like tapers off and actually has a negative impact. So um, yeah. <clears throat> really want to start to make sure you're not getting in that, that tunnel because I can just put my mind in, in the position of an athlete where they're making all these gains with reducing weight and increasing performance. And then as soon as they start to decrease performance, they might think to themselves, I just need to go um, more, I just need to be more severe with my restriction and like continue That's with right, that and up output. my training a bit. And, yeah, yeah, and then if I just eat less, 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 and they, because they saw those initial gains with attempting that, and then as soon as that performance starts to have a negative impact, they can swing more in that same direction, uh, which can be, yeah, yeah a, a big danger. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know for myself, I used to get so hungry, I used to get faint and shaky and um, those sorts of things. But I thought it was something to be proud of, you know, that I was really pushing my body. So, Badge of honour. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> you know, and, and I look back and I think, how ridiculous. But, you know, when you're in that mindset, it's hard to actually see that what you're doing is unhealthy because everyone goes, wow, geez, you look good. Geez, you look fit. You know, and you're like, oh, cool you know? Mm. And so that's how easy it is to, to get in that. But um, yeah, it, it's not, it's not sustainable over a long-term period and, and it will, it will without a doubt lead to um, decline in performance. It, it can't go any other way, basically. Do you think that same environment kind of fosters that um, those eating disorders that people start to develop? Oh, yes. I mean, I had probably some sort of I'd had I've had eating disorders throughout my life like when I was younger I used to just not eat um and um so I'd always had probably the propensity for that um but um and running was just another way of of doing it but I was able to hide it because I was running so people would think I was just being healthy by being fussy about my food hmm. Um, I'm not going to be one to say that I know a lot about eating disorders because I think in some cases there might be a genetic component, but um, when you're talking well, and about... It's certainly ran in my family, to you know, so whether it's genetic or familial, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because there can be like cultural and um, 
family kind of ideologies and you know just the yeah. culture itself could start to impact That's things right. but mm. uh yeah when you're talking about those environments and you start developing an eating disorder and like changing your relationship around food and what food means to you um particularly for a high performing athlete or someone with a high mileage if you start developing that eating disorder it's just a recipe for disaster yeah because to me now my whole perspective has changed to me eating is part of my training because eating is recovery and i cannot prepare for my next session or my next whatever if i have not fueled my body to enable it to recover yeah that's a that's a very fair point is there with, with that said if someone thinks that they might be having less or having that um low energy availability are there any like signs like any early signs that they can um try and pay attention to well when when they feel that their exercise is about losing weight and they have to get out and train otherwise they'll you know because they've got to lose weight and they've lost the focus from training for excellence to training for weight like I mean, it's different. People come to running for different reasons and there are people who come to lose weight and that's fine. But when you become so obsessed that I cannot miss this session, even though I'm sick and whatnot, but I've got to get out because otherwise I'll put on weight. Um, and then also the obsession with, with food such that you become antisocial. If you cannot socialise, like I couldn't go out for dinner with people I or I struggled. Like it was a real mental struggle to go out for dinner with people because and I couldn't control my food. So those sorts of things, you've got to look at that. If you feel like you can't eat with other people, if you're, um, if you're feeling that, I mean, like I'm always a little bit hungry because, you know, I don't know, I do, you know, work hard. But um, if you are getting to that point where you're faint, like, like I was, and, and not able to actually do things in life because you, you're so undernourished, then, then to me that's that has to be a warning sign. But the big one is not being able to eat with other people, being so obsessed with your food and feeling that you can't miss training because otherwise you'll you'll put on half a kilo or whatever, which you can't from missing a run. So, yeah. Yeah, you raise some good points. So it's not like early signs aren't about like whether you're decreasing performance or whether you're getting injured or it's more no, about... No, no, because they come later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about your belief, yep. like what motives you have. Yep. Um, if you're noticing um, traits of obsession, and if yep. you're starting to, if it's starting to impact your social well-being, or yep. um, yeah. So I guess that's a really good point that you talk about that because they can be really early warning signs um, that you can pick up on. And I think if you're, say, a coach, like a running coach or yes, a physio, and you're noticing yep. something. Um, I think there are a couple of screening tools out there like um, eating disorder screening tools and like questionnaires and stuff that you can, um, you can give to your athletes. But you also have to to be, yeah, you have to be really careful when you approach someone, someone with this, like you can't just sort of come out and say it because that kind of person will get really defensive and, you know, upset. And I think it has to be handled very carefully if you're seeing it in someone else. I mean, you need to do something, but it needs to just be handled very carefully. Yeah, and I think maybe a running coach can pick up on like maybe subtle cues that you might notice with the athletes if yep. uh, they're talking about diet or performance a certain way or if they start to notice um, changes in behavior or changes that are impacting them outside of running. 
um, might be uh, a good thing just to have in the back of your mind, just to flag mentally before actually approaching the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I agree. And what, what about any like treatment options? I, I, so you mentioned before that you became a bit more wise about your nutrition and how much energy you're actually um, taking on board. Yeah. I mean, I just, um, I sort of just did it on my own. Um, <clears throat> But some people might need to see, you know, some sort of therapist to, because it is sort of, you know, because getting over that shouldn't be eating is, is quite tricky. But so some people might need to talk to someone who is, you know, skilled in, in those sorts of, you know, because basically it is basically kind of an eating disorder in those kind of disorder. And, and it's also kind of body dysmorphic because you're looking in the mirror and seeing, you know, something different to what other people are seeing. Um, so someone who can, who knows how to deal with people with those sort of issues, um, maybe a dietitian to um, <clears throat> help you, to help the person find, because it's not just about eating more, oh, we'll just eat something high calorie. It's about, because these people, me included, like I knew I still wanted to eat healthy food. So I, I still ate healthy food. I just ate a bit more um, and just, you know, I just, can't even fully remember what I did, but I know I just worked on putting the weight on healthily, not just by eating junk to sort of quickly yeah. up the calorie. I'm sure there's like some different severities and you might need to approach an athlete or the treatment intervention will be different based on the level of severity because someone might not exactly. even realize and be like, oh, I just need to eat more. But then you've got yeah. on the other side of the spectrum, these really like delicate, sensitive topics and it can swing someone in the opposite direction of what you're intending if you do manage exactly to, because um, then yeah they could then hide it and um and 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 be more obsessed but hide it which is even worse then because then you can't help them at all yeah and if they're if they are on that far spectrum side of things and it is quite a severe case um do you have any ideas of what what someone might be able to do how they can approach it um well i mean you know, I think it needs to be someone who's relatively close to them. So even if it, if it was, say, the coach, you could even, like, talk to a significant other in, in that person's life and say, how can we work on this together to help them? Um, maybe um, if it's, you know, a coach with a group, they can say, right, we're going to get a dietitian to come in, talk to the group, and that's... Um, pointing out that person in particular but you know making it a group thing because it's still very informative for everybody and maybe talking about that sort of thing and um but if it's if you're not a coach and it's someone in your own life then i just think finding a way of um approaching it from a non-accusatory way and showing your care and your love for that person and because that's what they really need to feel at that time as well because there are other issues going on uh, probably about how they feel about themselves as well. So I think it needs to come from a really caring place. Yeah. And everyone might have like slightly different motives and maybe it is performance, mm. but maybe it is just appearance or maybe it is. Um, I mean, it, it's always pressures. Yeah. I mean, even when it's performance, there's still a little bit, it's still about, themselves as well because it's like why are they so driven that they would starve their body to to succeed what what is it that's driving that need to be successful there's going to be some 
even if, if it's not about looks, it's, there's other issues. Like it's, it's that obsession with performance to, to the point of destroying your body. That's, that's got to, that's, there's something there as well. Yeah. I think you know, um, I really like your, your point about addressing the group if they are in a group environment first and hopefully they get the message across. And I think there's a, um, an overall uh, message here and it's probably to address their beliefs or change their beliefs as early yes. as you can, like in the really, really yes. early stages as they're developing and as they're starting to um, come up with their own ideas and following role models and doing all these, if they can start to shift their beliefs to more um, healthy alternatives, that's going to be the most effective way than trying to address someone who has these ingrained beliefs and ideas already in place um and trying to make that change is going to be so much more difficult yeah yeah that's right and and so that also comes from having really good open communication with the people uh, as a group or with your athlete or with people in your life because um it, it, it the good communication it's going to be hard to approach that any of this anyway <laughs> Yeah, and I think it shows um, a good coach and a good um, relationship with your parents and other athletes if you do have that open mm. communication and you do talk about these things um, like from the get-go and so that you can start to learn. Well, I think if you don't talk about it to start with, it, it becomes hard to bring up like when it starts to become yes, an issue. But if right. you're addressing exactly. it from the get-go and open communication yeah. is a frequent thing, then it can be addressed yeah. and um, talked to, talked about quite quickly. So as a coach um, or as a parent, uh, it can be like something that you can implement very early on. And I think uh, if you did, you would find that it would come as a relief to the athlete to have someone to talk about it because sometimes there's so much in their own head with it all, it can become quite stressful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of treatment things that I have written down, and it's probably for the more lighter, milder kind of cases, but um, obviously nutrition advice, like increasing yeah. food intake, um, and may require, like you said, just having more nutrient-dense type of foods, um, making small like little adjustments might be all that's needed. Definitely exercise modification if you're trying yeah. to balance out that um that energy deficiency and that mismatch between input and output. Uh, I have here, if bone health was an issue, vitamin D and calcium intake, um, just to try and restore those minimal, uh, those minerals that are stored within the bones. Um, and then they, they did mention here um, cognitive behavior therapy. I guess that's for yeah. more of the eating disorders and like just recognizing the importance of a multidisciplinary type of team. Um, so you've got the medical side of things, you've got the dietary side of things, the mental support and, um, yeah, I guess that can go on. And also, um, doing weights is good for bone strength as well. Very good point. Yes. Um, so mm. bone strength is, is very good because they used to think it was a lot of like the, um, the shock absorbing would, um, help mm. trigger a lot of calcium growth and a lot of, um, bone growth but it's also the actual like as you lift a heavy weight the bone of the yep. muscle that is activated actually pulls on the bone a little bit and That's stimulates tight. a lot of bone growth there as well and so you don't mm. need to be jumping and impacting and doing a lot of those things even though that is quite good for bone health even just um lifting up some weights does help as the tendons pull on that bone it can help restore a lot of that health so that's a very good point 
Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, as runners, yeah, sure, the legs, well, I mean, I've got stress fractures in the legs, but, yeah, the pounding is meant to help. But, yeah, the upper body is susceptible to weakening bones too. So, yeah, so weight training is, is good for so many different reasons, but that's, yeah, certainly one of them in this instance. Fantastic. Um, that's all the dot points I had covered. Isabel, is yeah. there anything else that you want to talk about or any other message that we didn't get across? No, I mean, that's pretty much all I had as well. I just think that if if you can relate to any of those feelings or any of those um, scenarios that we're talking about, please talk to somebody because um, talking just really helps, you know, and, and you might find um, that, you know, you can just tweak a couple of things and, and it just makes all the difference to your health because, yeah, sure, we want to be good runners right now, but you've also got to think about your future, long-term future, your health in the long term, and which comes quicker than you, you think it will, but it comes and you don't want to be, uh, have have a body with which is, well, not just, you know, unable to run but unable to do many things. So it's not just your health right now, it's your future health that you need to focus on. Yeah, have that long-term goal and mm. just like trying to identify what what your reasons are behind it, like why you are running, why you are mm. training for a race, why you want to lose weight and are they healthy habits that, that are going to be serving you or are they habits and ideas that um, will start to become detrimental once you get onto the um, severe side of things so um very good to yeah, have, exactly. have that self-reflection and also like myself i was able to turn it around so don't think oh my god that's it i've been able to turn it around so it is possible and um you know and and it makes you a much happier runner so yeah yeah it's anything a positive else all around. no that's all from me fantastic i think um i couldn't have done this alone <laughs> and it's um uh, <laughs> A strange topic that, like I said at the start of the interview, I didn't really know much about until we agreed to do this interview and then I started doing the research myself. And I learned a lot just um, from trying to plan for this and having someone to talk to who has gone through these experiences has made the process a lot easier and hopefully it's um, resonated with a lot of people and it um, comes across as um, something that, they recognize the importance of that it could develop mm. into or how to address it if they are starting to notice these symptoms. So yeah, I think we covered a lot of groundwork here and yeah, I think so. That was good. And it's, it's, it's an important message to get out there because it can be hidden. Yeah. Very good. All right, Isabel, thank you very much. Um, hopefully no we can thank you. come up with another topic and we'll jump on again sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.